Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. Or does it? <laughs> there we go. It is Thursday, June 27th. Please stop that. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, editor-in-chief of the Chicago Reader, Ben, tuck your shirt in. Karen Hawkins will join us. We welcome union man Ryan Kelly. And it's the Ben Jarofsky Show debut of Sean Callahan of What Has Government Done For Us? And now your host, what has government done for him? <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Play Ball Thursday. And here's why. Yes, indeed, folks. Presidential campaign kicked off. Ready, Whether you are ready for it or not. With last night's Democratic presidential debate, 10 people on stage. Tonight, there'll be 10 more on stage. And there are four Good or God. five out there who couldn't even make the stage because they haven't raised enough money or they not high enough in the polls. And it's not like the bar is really high, D. You only have to get 1% at the polls or have raised, I forget how much money through, uh, for, you know, I don't have that on the top of my head, but it's not a whole bunch of money. Uh, so obviously the bar is a little low. They had 10 people last night, 10 people tomorrow. We'll be talking about both. Boy, did I love that. I love presidential debates, D. I got to tell you. Yeah, I called you in the middle of it last night and you got pissed. I'm like, like, dude. <laughs> I'm calling you back. But here's the weird thing. I I was watching on my phone. I don't know why I was watching on my phone. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know. I'm so used to the phone. I've been brainwashed. So instead of, I could have watched it on a boob tube. It was on Channel 5. I could have watched it. I ended up ending up watching it. Ben Jarofsky, the last person on planet Earth to call it the boob tube. <laughs> God, you're old. I am old, man. <laughs> but you know, to help me out, we have Leah, the uh, office editor. She watched the show. There's Leah. We're going to uh, get her thoughts on the debate as well. Oh, by the way, when the debate was over, I was calling absolutely everybody. Hey, did you watch the debate? <laughs> did you watch the debate? Did you watch? A lot of people I know whose names will go unmentioned did not watch the debate. Yeah, including a certain political junkie I know whose name will go unmentioned. Not in this room. Oh, I was going to say, dude, I went back and watched the first half. No, no, no. You were very good. You were very good, all right? I forgot I forgot about it. watched the last half and then after watched the first. Well, that's the thing. You know, I mean, it's taped, so you don't have to watch it in real time. But for some reason, I wanted to watch it in real time. And I'll be watching tonight's debate. Ben Jarofsky, the last person on planet Earth to say taped. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least podcast Boop, tube, and tape. All right? Okay. Now, we have some awards to give out from last night's debate. Okay? Nice. Some awards. And so uh, I'm going to give this is the official Ben Jarofsky Awards. Uh, but Leah will offer up her Z Generation Awards. Let's see if they're uh, the same as mine. Many categories. All right? The first category, I think, may be the most important category. And that is the big issue. 
Uh, when I when I heard the debate, what is the big issue that unites all Democrats and that they can run on? The nominees, climate change, health care, Trump, and the winner well, is... Hold on, before you do the winner, hold on, before you do the winner, we gotta, we gotta make this sound like an award show, just hang tight with me for a second oh, okay. here. Hold on a second, hold on, hang tight, hang tight, okay. waiting for this YouTube ad okay. to be done. <laughs> they play ads before the thing. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. And the winner is... And the winner is... I'm opening the envelope. Oh, wow. <laughs> you brought an envelope. And the winner is... Trump! Yeah, Trump, folks. That's the issue. Don't kid yourself. Now, but the one thing that united absolutely every person on that stage is they detest the presidency of Donald John Trump. And that united all the people in the audience. Now, I know the politically correct answer is, uh, as Democrats, we must stand for something. We can't just stand for against Trump. How many people have come on this show and said, Ben, we have to be for something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone hates Trump, okay? Or they love Trump. So if you just pound Trump, I think that's the number one issue. But the number two issue right behind it, the runner-up, I would say, is health care. I agree with Dr. D on this one. So any Democratic nominee has to pound Trump and stand for health care for all. And I think that will be the ticket to success. Do you agree with me, Leo? No, I, don't. I think it should be, ideally. <laughs> it should be climate change because I think it's the greatest existential threat to at least my generation and those coming after it. But um, it's also a really polarizing issue. For some reason, it shouldn't really be um, a lot of conservatives. Uh, it, it's just very polarizing to conservatives. So do you think that more, if the key to this election is getting your generation to come out to vote, or one of the keys is, do you think they'll be motivated more by health care, climate change, or uh, college tuition? Probably college tuition, I think. It affects it's affecting more and more people by the day. And it's also just like the most tangible threat that it's, that people can see. And, and see, that's why I'm saying the real, like the real threat right now, the thing that people feel in their pocket to, pocketbooks, paying a healthcare bill, paying a college loan, uh, climate change is absolutely critical to our future of a species. But people mm-hmm. aren't, like you said, it's existential. Right yeah. there and then people are like, huh, what does that even mean? Yeah, people can't see yeah, it. Yeah, they can't yeah. see it. And uh, Republicans are denying it. Yeah. So by half the country already doesn't believe it exists. So anyway, no doubt in my mind, though, Trump, 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 that was key. All right, number two, the most time. This is something I hadn't thought about. Like, the way they have this campaign set up, uh, there's 10 people on stage. They're like fighting. It's like a dinner time at my house when a whole bunch of people are fighting for the food. Who oh, the I've most- been to dinner at your house. Good <laughs> God. Everybody's like, uh, the nominees, uh, Cory Booker, Beto O'Rourke, and Elizabeth Warren. And the winner is. Oh, Cory Booker. 10.9 minutes. Somebody actually timed this. Cory Booker talked for 10.9 minutes. Beto O'Rourke talked for 10.3 minutes. And Elizabeth Warren talked by 9.3 minutes. I got to tell you right now, oh. I'm, I'm going to just say it right now. Cory Booker, 
He just talks too much, in my humble opinion. I know some people in the studio may disagree with me on this one. Leah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a Cory Booker fan. Yeah, I just think the guy winds up, gets going, and he doesn't really have anything uh, to say. And uh, so I just thought he talked too much, and I was disappointed that Elizabeth Warren, this is going to shock you, didn't get to talk more. She's the front runner in the polls. Uh, of all the people on the stage, she has the most to offer, in my humble opinion. She did get the most questions, though. Questions she, asked of her. Four to three. Okay. That was somebody counted that one as well. <laughs> so she talked for uh, 9.3 minutes. She got a lot of questions early, and then as the debate wore on, it's sort of like they forgot she was there. But you like Cory Booker. I do like Cory Booker. I mean, how could you not? He's a superhero. He ran into a burning building to save a guy. You know what? So instead of being president of the United States, how about he become a firefighter? <laughs> there we go. We just solved that one. <laughs> All right. Now, next question. The next. The, <laughs> I figured that, that one funny. out. Okay. All right. So here we go. Uh, uh, in the category of why is he even on stage, the nominees are Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, Amy Klobuchar, and Cory Booker. And the winner is... Wait, hold on. All right, there we go. Hold on, let me get this envelope open. Oh, man, there you brought so many envelopes today. <laughs> I, I may need one, actually. I got to mail something you later. You got to mail a letter? Don't uh, rip all of them. You're you're the only millennial in the world who still mails letters. I know. All right, wait, hold on. I got to rip this one last thing. And the winner is all the above. <laughs> I do not know why Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, Amy Klobuchar, or Cory Booker are running for president. They don't really bring anything to the, the situation. They don't have any great ideas. For months, I thought John Delaney was that comedian. <laughs> Poor Delaney's like, oh, can I talk? Can I talk? Uh, so anyway, I just don't know why they were running. I found um, Bill de Blasio exceedingly annoying. He kept bowing. Hey, wait, what about me? Uh, so I don't know why Bill de Blasio is running. I know he was trying to uh, articulate uh, these the, like these progressive values. Uh, and he had that moment where he called attention to the fact that his son, uh, it, it, he, what's the son's name? Dante. Uh, Dante. Yeah, my son Dante is black. And, uh, you know, he's had trouble with the police or I had to give him a lecture on the police. So I, he was trying to personalize things, like really throwing his family out there in the middle of things. Like, why are you on the stage, dude? You're mayor of New York City and uh, you don't really offer anything. Your reign as mayor of New York City hasn't been that progressive, in my humble opinion. So uh, those are the five I had troubles with. I don't understand why they're even running, uh, and they probably won't be at the next debate. Uh, Leah, what's your thoughts on those five? Do you agree with me? Or a little, except for Cory Booker. Except for Cory Booker. I mean, I agree with you on de Blasio, definitely Delaney. But I think it's uh, I, Amy Klobuchar, not that I necessarily agree with her um, or like her that much, but I think she's a good moderate Midwestern voice to have like in in the mix. Uh, I Beto O'Rourke, he's pushing the party left he's part of that as uh, you well, know so. better o'rourke better o'rourke is this, the guy okay everybody remembers better o'rourke he ran against ted cruz for senate uh in 2018 ran a spirited campaign came close relatively close i think the highest vote getter the democratic statewide vote getter in years for the state of texas there's another state uh t texas senate race coming right up he chose to run for president instead i felt he was lost on stage uh leah i thought that 
uh, like his his style of of uh, presenting himself, where he's like these stories he goes into. Oh, didn't I agree. Work I don't well. think he did yeah. very well last night either. Yeah, so that's why I'm saying, like, yeah. why are you on stage? Uh, go back to Texas and run for Senate. I guess it's a little late for that. All right, and let's see uh, what I can't even read. Uh, oh, the most <laughs> can't even read. It, I can't guys. even read. <laughs> I can't even read my writing. He's gone a long way Wait. not being able to read. You know what i'm gonna go back i'm gonna go to this award the winner of the debate oh, the winner wow. of the debate wow do we have candidates or should i just hit the drum roll now uh, we have nominees and the nominees are elizabeth warren julian castro and tulsi gabbard and the winner is hold on guilt suspense buddy come on all right here we go oh, <laughs> Wait, it's like that thing at the Oscars. They gave me the wrong one. It's best cinematography. Hold on. Get another envelope. Oh, get the other one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. The oh. joke's like two years old now. <laughs> Name the movie. Uh, pretend trivia. La La Land. Very it was supposed good. to be Moonlight, though. Yeah. Excellent. Focus, Ben. Focus. <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> the drum roll ran out. Okay, get drum roll again. And the winner is... No doubt about it, Elizabeth Warren, in my humble opinion. I got to give um, Julian Castro credit. I thought his response on the immigration issue was absolutely uh, excellent, where he talked very specifically and very precisely, Leah, about that section, what is it, 1325 in the United States Code that criminalizes illegal entry into the country as a misdemeanor punishable by imprisonment or fines. And that, that, that precision that he gave in that answer just cut through all the rhetoric. Most people just give this like general rhetoric about how we should welcome all people to our uh, country. This does not, you know, the, the image of the father and the daughter lying, um, very troubling uh, image of them lying. They drown trying to cross the Rio Grande to come into uh, to the United States is very troubling. And But he was, he cut through it all by talking about the specific language uh, in the, the law books that uh, makes it a, fine, a, a penalty uh, to try to cross into the country and to limit that and uh, as a guy who's a, a very much a, a, a governmental geek who goes takes the deep dive in a lot of these issues I I really appreciated that and I think that may be enough again the threshold is low to get him a bump in the polls to survive to make it to the next debate so that's why I put him uh, in in the category and I thought Tulsa Gabbard gave a great response on the issue of war and the endless madness, uh, maddening wars that the United States has been fighting in the Middle East since 2001. So uh, that exchange with Tim Ryan when, when she said, uh, when she was pointing out that we are not winning these wars, we're just continually locked into them. I just, and um, I thought, thought that was a refreshing uh, burst of honesty from a presidential candidate. Your thoughts? Um, well, I guess on, on that list of the, uh victors that you have. I agree that Elizabeth Warren definitely, I think she won, but I think the one area where she was lacking in her response was gun control. She was saying, we need to do research. I was like, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I thought that was a very weak response, especially from her. Um, but besides that, she did really well. And uh, yeah. would, you, would you put Cory Booker on your list of I winners? I would put Cory Booker. She loves Cory like Booker. Booker yeah. uh, and <laughs> all right, and finally, the final category. Oh my God, there's one more. One more. That should have that. The best performance should have been the last one. But okay, go ahead. Most annoying announcer. Oh, okay. okay. All Hold right. On. And the nominees are Chuck Todd, Chuck Todd, and Chuck Todd. Oh, I wonder who's going to win this one. <laughs> Hold on, Chuck Todd. Oh, <laughs> you know, look. 
He kept acting as though this was a debate for a general election. This is a debate for a Democratic primary. So his questions kept being like, along, well, how can you pick up Trump voters if you have that left of center position? The first thing you got to do is win the Democratic nomination. And right now the party is to the left. So he, I, I, you know, I, I understand that at some point the Democrats will have to move to the center. But I, I thought John Delaney was, was really concerned with moving to the center yes. and making peace with the Trump voters. I know, John Delaney, which I presume he will not be on the stage <laughs> uh, the next debate, the former congressman. But I have to give him credit on one thing. I mean, Chuck, I criticized him, but I have to say this. The question about Mitch McConnell was a very good one. I don't know if you remember that one, but that was, what will you do to, if the Democrats don't take control of the Senate? What will you do to deal with Mitch McConnell? And the reality, folks, is there's really nothing that they could say they talked uh, in evasions, they ducked and dodged, they pivoted, uh, but there's really nothing concrete they can say because Mitch McConnell, if he if he retains uh, a majority of Republican senators, he could tie the Democratic president up in knots. For for all, he, for all he, if they want, they could just run out the clock on any Supreme Court nominee. They could play a real hardball like uh, happened in the city of Chicago uh, back in the Council Wars era. So uh, that was as annoying as that question was. It was a healthy reminder of the stakes, not just for the presidential race, but for the Senate races as well. You agree with me on that one? Yeah. Who do you think was the, the best moderator? Wow. You know, the uh, optimism isn't a uh, uh, strong suit here. Uh, I can't. Uh, Lester Holt, I kind of like, he used to be in Chicago, so I kind of like a, uh, I, you know, wow, the best. I, I can't think of a best. Who did you think? Rachel Maddow, I thought, did pretty well, too. I don't know. None of them were fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, none of them were fantastic. I guess the best thing you can say about moderators to get out of the way. I just found Todd annoying. <laughs> what can I tell you? Anyway, uh, that's our analysis of the debate. Those are the winners. I have to put these envelopes away as we continue the show. And, and hey, Chuck Todd, get a new haircut, buddy. <laughs> the worst haircut in all political television. My God, look at uh, a 14 year old. <laughs> Let's get that nice goatee going. Anyway, we have a great show today, everybody. I think Let's he has a full cut. But anyway. uh, Karen Hawkins will be here from the Chicago Reader. She's the editor in chief. She's my boss, D. Put those pizza cartons away, all right? Sorry, you sorry. clean the place up. I love pizza. All right, get it. Karen will be in here talking about the future. One more bong hit before she comes oh, in. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I think the reader may have changed his attitude toward reefer since it's become legal. Well, technically it's not legal yet, so put that bong away. Oh, my away. God. All right. Going uh, to jail. Ryan Kelly will be here, and he's bringing a mystery guest. Ooh. Can't wait. I love when they bring a guest comes bringing a mystery guest. And Sean Callahan will be here, uh, the 2.30 hour. Interesting guy, a writer in the city of Chicago, uh, covers politics, uh, has a, a website called What Has Government Done For Us? Make a strong, passionate believer uh, in uh, sort of fighting off the Republicans' attacks on government, getting people to realize like we are like a united body of human beings. We shouldn't be isolated and played off against one another. And by the way, I I made him watch the debates, D. So uh, he'll be addressing the issue of who he thinks was the best uh, person to lead a government going forward from last night's debate. So a lot of political talk ahead of us. But before we get to any of it, the doctor with the news. Not doctor. Okay. <laughs> uh, before we get going into the national news here, uh, the live stream chat is on fire. Oh. My goodness. What an opener, Ben. 
Good lord. Do they do they is there anybody out there who likes Tulsi Gabbard other than me? Uh not seeing Tulsi Gabbard All comments right, on here. here. Way in live stream. What do you think here? But uh the comments we have here are our good buddy Pat Rod here. He says, "Yes, climate change is the most important issue whether the candidates accept it or not." Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it is like the future. Of, you're absolutely correct, and you were absolutely correct, Leah. It is the the future. I just don't. Yeah, it's not just the candidates. I don't know if voters are seeing it that way. Oh, your favorite millennial, Kyle, Ooh. is weighed in. He's oh. got a comment and a question. Yeah, Kyle, there you go. Because of you, we bought that book. Uh, if we ever uh, need, report. we're ever in search of a uh, time to kill, Ben will read that Mueller report. Uh, he says here, Chuck Todd spends every day quoting the last scene in Raging Bull before being <laughs> on camera. And Kyle also says, I wonder what one question Ben would ask all the Dem candidates if he could. Wow. Dang. Caught me off guard there with that one. Um, cookies to do your stallion stands. I would ask him uh, the health care question. I would uh, hit him hard on the health care question. I, I, I think, by the way, I owe it to this young man on my left for this, because he's the guy who told me when we were in the train going home more than once. Ben, the key, the future for the Democratic Party is to champion health care for all. It's the single most important We issue. all got to go to the doctor, yeah. baby. Yeah, we all got to go to the doctor. and <laughs> We uh, all don't have to go to college. Yeah, and, and so when Amy Klobuchar was talking about, oh, she doesn't want to take people, they, got, they, they like their private insurance. I'm like, I've had private insurance through my job for... <sighs> I've been living a long time since the uh, early '90s. Okay, and uh, I there's nothing great about my health care. I'm glad I have it. Trust me, I much prefer to have health care uh, plan than not have a health care plan. But there's nothing sensational about my health care plan that would want me to to keep it. And so I don't understand how that's. Uh, going to motivate people to come out to vote. I am going to protect your private insurance plan. I just don't see that so i would like a little more specificity on uh on the health care issue so there you go kyle answered the question for you now let's find out uh what's happening in the national news besides last night's democratic presidential candidate debate part one of two mm-hmm. the supreme court is issuing rulings in multiple cases this afternoon today is the last day for the court to issue rulings for the past terms cases our first ruling the supreme court has withdrawn from partisan gerrymandering cases now the following paragraph i'm going to read to all of you is <laughs> one of those paragraphs that when those of us on the undereducated side of life reader here, yeah, we have no clue what it means because it's so wordy that it hurts our poor little dumb brains. So, Ben, help us dummies out here because as Samuel L. Jackson once said, your ass may be dumb, but you ain't no dumbass. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Here we go. The court has demurred in the partisan gerrymandering cases, meaning that plaintiffs bringing future claims of partisan gerrymandering by which political party insiders manipulate district lines for partisan advantage could have limited recourse and be unable to appeal the high court. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. No, this is like I said, I'm going back to last night's debate for a moment. Uh, uh, Castro, uh, why, what, what I really appreciate about his answer in immigration, he zeroed in on a precise uh, it, part of the code and explained what it is in ways that everybody can understand as opposed to that sentence, which <laughs> leads people, huh? And this is hard. I'm going to take as a guy who's trying to explain municipal government to, to uh, people in Chicago for years and years and years. I know it's difficult. 
I know it's really difficult to explain complex programs uh, in ways that you can understand how they impact your life. I understand this. Uh, but in the particular case of gerrymandering, it's really not that hard. And there's an easier way to explain it than uh, what that sentence did. But essentially, uh, if the Republicans have the majority in uh, the state house, they can draw up a, a political map that favors them. And if the Democrats have the advantage, they can do the same. They can draw up a map that favors um, themselves. And uh, what the Supreme Court ruled is that in their humble opinion, it was a split. I haven't had a chance to read the ruling, but it was five to four. In their humble opinion, that is legal. It is legal to draw a map, they said, uh, that favors one party over another. All right. So that means that if you're a Democrat in a state, let's say, like North Carolina, and you want to challenge the map that puts all Democrats in one or two districts and gives spreads out Republican voters so they have more strength and power, the court says, tough luck. You just got to accept it. And it's no big surprise uh, that Donald John Trump's two Supreme Court nominees went along with that one. Uh, and uh, so it was Republicans looking out for the interests of Republicans. And I just remind everybody in uh, the state of Illinois, uh, I've gotten a lot of criticism over the, uh, the, the years, D, because I haven't joined the fair map movement uh, in the state of Illinois. My attitude about fair maps is I, as a uh, left of center person, will sign on to a fair map movement when I see my right of center brothers and sisters signing on one. I never see them. Republicans play hardball. Democrats play nice. Oh, let's have a fair map. Yeah, right. I'll have a fair map when North Carolina voluntarily has a fair map when the Republicans of North Carolina decide they're going to give equal representation to Democrats. When they just let that computer draw up the map, let, it, let the chips fall where they may. So yeah, the Supreme Court essentially said it is legal to rewrite a map, to write a map so that it favors the Republican Party. And if the Democrats like don't like it, tough luck. Oh, I want a fair map. Who is that an impression of? Anyone, <laughs> anyone in particular? A few people. Oh, Come you know, Ben, we need a fair map. <laughs> okay, well, when Wisconsin and North Carolina have a fair map, Illinois should have a fair map. All right, on to the second major ruling. Number, number two. two. Okay. <laughs> And hey, you don't need 10 master's degrees to follow this one. <laughs> yeah. This Supreme Court ruling is on the question of whether the Trump administration can include a question about U.S. citizenship on the 2020 census. The court agreed with a lower court, which ruled that the Commerce Department could have reasonable grounds for including the question, but was skeptical of the Trump administration's claim that it was looking for better data to enforce the Voting Rights Act. Yeah, this is one of those deals where the Supreme Court doesn't want to make a definitive ruling. It's like, oh, we'll just punt it back to the lower court kick it back to the lower court uh and uh, this is an important issue affects uh the state of illinois that's for certain the the, the trump administration uh they they figured out and gotta give them credit they're up late night figuring these things out that if you put a question on the census about uh whether you're a citizen or not that would uh deter people who aren't citizens from participating uh and uh for fear that they would get sent back to whatever country they came from that's a legitimate fear that people might have in this day and age uh and so there was the republican strategy that would ca cause an undercount in blue states and blue areas and then give the republicans more of advantage hey one more time republicans looking for a political advantage my democratic brothers and sisters out there who are so naive as to believe that the republicans are playing this game fair you know this is kind of joe biden's problem they hate to say it i know i know you're a huge biden fan oh yeah <laughs> yeah okay 
Sure. This is Joe Biden's problem, you know? Oh, you know, I remember the days when we reached across the Yeah, if they reached across the aisle, they had a brass knuckle they're going to hit you with, all right? They're not playing the game fair. They're looking to play the game to win, all right? So they're good. if it means undercounts on the census, if it means that we don't have an accurate census, they don't care. Republicans, I'm speaking about, that's the they. They just want to win. It's all about winning for the Republicans. When are the Democrats going to learn? that d i don't know joe biden hey, i like them They're, i get along with them oh that was an impression of you you like joe biden that was cool mm-hmm. all right and finally we're gonna put the uh supreme court rulings uh to rest here for a little bit because my brain hurts so uh, we're gonna talk about some other stuff here and uh we'll go ahead and file this one under uh yeah dude where the hell you been <laughs> During an interview with BBC, (laughs) the Dalai Lama said that our American president, Donald Trump, lacks moral principle. Let's play the audio. And Ben, please take notes. This is how a British accent sounds. What do you think of him in office? One day he says something, another day he says something. But I think lack of moral principle. Mm -hmm. Uh, When he became president, he expressed America first. That is wrong. America should take the global responsibility. I agree uh, completely with the Dalai Lama uh, uh, that Donald Trump does display a lack of moral principle. Uh, just talked about the, the fact that there is no principle really, just other than winning. That's all they're about. Uh, he has no moral principle, and I agree with the Dalai Lama. And in terms of defending my British accent, what the doctor is <laughs> alluding to is that yesterday I was doing my Mick Jagger imitation. All right. Now uh, the woman who asked the Dalai Lama the question clearly uh, speaks the King's English or the Queen's English, so it's very you know very precise British accent whereas I was doing my cockney like Mick Jagger watch your mouth hello mate hey oh Keith Richards on the guitar over there I love Lori Lightfoot hello mate there that's a cockney right? that's like hillbilly British I did not say that. The words <laughs> and opinions of the doctor from downstate uh, are the doctors alone. All right. You said you agreed with him. Well, get ready to not agree with him on this one here. He also said that he is open to the next spiritual leader of the Tibetan Buddhist being a woman, but only if she's attractive. Huh? What? That's what he said. I don't believe he said that. <laughs> he said that. Well, I disagree with him. I, I don't even want to go there. That's the most ridiculous thing I've heard all day. Well, uh, he said it. All right. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. And after the break, this is when we would usually do our little segment, What Else is News, where we find out what's going on locally. But I believe our guest, our 130 guest, uh, should be here. I mean, Leah left and asked for my ID. So mm. well, we could do the news or have the guests or do both. I tell you what, let's take a break, roll the dice and see what happens, huh? You're the man. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show, J 
V-I-C-T-O-R-A, V as in victory, S-K-Y. So let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, (laughs) live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Karen Hawkins from the Chicago Reader, the editor-in-chief of the Chicago Reader, the new editor-in-chief of the Chicago Reader, has joined us. And because she's the editor-in-chief of the paper I work for, we put the bong away. Okay, Karen? No bongs allowed when the boss is in the office. That's so sweet of you. I know. Uh, Maybe you want to share some of the bong. I uh, uh, but anyway, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Karen's editorship, how she, uh, it seemed like you just got it, the reader, and now you're the editor. I know. Uh, I and know. Um, so before we do that, D, let's get a little of that local news in, all right? All right, we'll do some local news here. Uh, we're about to find out what's going on locally. Time for what else is news. And for those listening who are new to the state of Illinois, hi, welcome to Illinois, where you'll never see a bigger pothole, never have a better pot of chili, and who knows, maybe after January, where you'll never be a bigger pothead. Who knows? Knows, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and apparently where you'll never find uh, more politicians raided by the FBI. Mm. Yep. And it happened again. One more time. The following comes from the Illinois political bulldogs at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos. The FBI makes another raid. Federal agents raided the home of Kevin Quinn, a former top political aide to Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan and the brother of 13th Ward Alderman. Marty Quinn. Apparently, the sweep took place last month at Kevin Quinn's home in Chicago's Beverly neighborhood, and we're just now learning about it. So for those keeping track at home, just in the last year, we've had Alderman Ed Burke, Alderwoman Carrie Austin, and now former Madigan goon Kevin Quinn raided by federal agents. At this moment, none of the raids appear connected. Quinn was a political operative for Madigan for nearly 20 years until last year uh, when he was accused of sexual harassment. His brother, Marty, is a well-known alderman of the 13th Ward who made the headlines in this past election when he was challenged by the 19-year-old MAGA boy. Remember that? David Krupa. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Maya Benj- wrote about that. I know Maya, Maya loves, the, loves, loves that, that story. Yeah. 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 So Ben Jarofsky, what's on your mind? Tell us your thoughts on the FBI raiding the home of Kevin Quinn. Well, this is um, I'm, this is okay, this is really getting at the Madigan machine, the the Michael Madigan House Speaker Michael Madigan's thirtieth uh, Ward, uh, excuse me, thirtieth thirteenth uh, Ward Democratic machine. And as I said, Maya, who comes on the show every Tuesday, has talked about this a lot. She covered that race a lot. Uh, and um, I'm not quite sure what they're looking for. This is very intriguing because in the in the case of Ed Burke, in the case of Danny Solis, uh, in the case of Carrie uh, Austin, it, this is those are instances where Chicago aldermen are using their power uh, to sort of shake down business from people, or allegedly shake down business from people, or maybe taking bribes in exchange uh, for passing legislation for them. So it's not clear what at all what uh, Kevin Quinn was guilty of and he was a political aide uh, to Michael Madigan. So the speculation is, is that they're squeezing Kevin Quinn to try to get him to, what, deliver some kind of goods on Michael Madigan. I, 
I don't uh, know anything other than that. It's just raw speculation. But I'll tell you what, it's been a rough year for Kevin Quinn. And and yes, you're you're right. We talked a lot about his role uh, with Elena Hampton, who was uh, charged um, the Madigan op- machine with punishing her for coming forth with her allegations of sexual harassment. We've had her on this show, Karen, uh, Elena Hampton. So uh, Kevin Quinn has been uh, really been in the news uh, in a negative way for about over a year. And so I'm going to, it's curious to see how how this is finally going to play out. It's interesting. It was a front page spread in the Chicago Tribune. Front page above the fold. There we go. Get a look at that paper. Downloaders. newspaper. Uh, they go hard after Madigan. And uh, it was on page four of my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times. Uh, so the Chicago Tribune obviously thinks it's really big news and they're going strong because they've been going after Madigan for a long time. They want to see him tumble. And um, maybe they're hoping that this will be the case. All right, so that's our uh, little local portion there. Uh, we do have some uh, J.B. Pritzker updates. We're going to keep that uh, for yeah, a little we'll later on later. in the program. We'll see what Ryan Kelly thinks about those J.B. Pritzker updates. All right, Karen Hawkins, welcome to the show. Appreciate you coming in. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I've been bugging Karen for a while. Come on the show. Come on. It started, uh was election night. Remember that? Uh, we were doing the uh, the Reader podcast. Uh, this is right before I started this particular uh, show. And uh, Maya and I, and I did a podcast live from the Reader office. We're in a room that was like a fraction of the size of this room. Yeah. Was that your room? No, that was the sales office. Oh, that was the sales office. We were okay. squatting in the sales office. Yeah. yeah. There were like five people, four people in that room. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I said, you got to come on the, uh, on my show. All right, Ben. All right. Uh, but since then, you got a promotion. Uh, let's back up a little bit and talk about your background a little bit. You're from Chicago uh, to begin with? Yes. And I like to claim both South Side and South Suburbs because people real, get real mad if you say South Side. And they're like, oh, where'd you go to high school? And I say, home with Flossmore. That's not in Chicago. So... Southside, South Suburbs is where I'm from. Okay. Uh, so you're from Homewood? I mean, that's the high school you went to? Yeah. Yeah. I know Elena Waith, who's the, the famous writer. She's always says that she's from the city of Chicago. She's from Chicago. Guess what high school she went to? Really? Evanston. Oh. <laughs> I can't even say South Suburbs. So what is the difference in your mind between South Suburbs and, and South Side of Chicago? Is there a big... Oh, uh, I, 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 having gone to high school in Evanston, see a big difference between Evanston uh, and the north side of Chicago. It's, the whole mindset is completely different. In your, in your mind, what's the difference between the south suburbs and south side? Man, that's a whole show. Uh, so I, I can just speak to when we moved, we were part of the first wave of people of color moving from Chicago to the south side or to the south suburbs. And, um, really the first I'd ever heard of white flight, you know, watching my class become more and more brown and black and less and less white. That was very interesting to watch. So I feel like um, that is one element of the big difference between the two. And I think economically there's a difference and, you know, the resources that get poured into the schools and the suburbs are obviously off the charts compared to the city. And, you know, my high school, Homewood Flossmoor, when I was there, they built a natatorium, not a pool. Oh, yeah, natatorium. A natatorium, yeah, yeah, an yeah, Olympic-sized yeah. natatorium. And, you know, I took ice skating classes, like, in gym. So, you know, in terms of re- race, it's about economics, it's about resources. There are huge differences there. When, when your family left, was it, it, was it, what was the reason when they finally decided they wanted to oh, move to yeah. the South Suburbs? I had an older brother and my mother was like, it would be cool if you didn't bring bullet shell casings home with you. So let's maybe get out of here. So I feel like it was about educational opportunities for us, the kids really is what. What high school would he have gone to? Do you know? Well, uh, he was a little angry about that. He actually was going to go to Whitney Young. 
I know, I know. I mean, that's. But at the time, it was pre Whitney Young, so he was like still in the kind of feeder system. Uh, my sister did graduate from Whitney Young. I'll give her a shout out, my sister Valerie. Um, but yeah. Wow. It would have gone to Whitney Young. It would have gone to Whitney Young. There's nothing wrong with Whitney Young, that's for sure. It was uh, the neighborhood. Yeah. So anyway, uh, South Suburban person. And uh, we're, before you got to the reader, we're, we're, uh, what other publications have you worked for? So right before the reader, I was running my own magazine, Rebellious Magazine for Women. I've also worked at the Associated Press. My kind of how I got to the reader, part of my story of how I got to the reader is actually through Tracy Bame, who I worked for at Windy City Times almost 20 years ago. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, those are the kind of the highlights of my 20 year did you have a notion of what the reader was like before you took the job there? Did you have a, like a vision of what the reader was like? Oh or? man. I mean, I grew up reading the reader and yeah. loving the reader and sneaking into Chicago to get the reader from Homewood, like telling my mother like, oh, we're going to the Baker Square in Homewood and really coming to like Cafe Voltaire in Boys Town and grabbing a reader. So I, I knew what the reader was like then. And I always always, always wanted to work there. As soon as I knew I wanted to be a journalist, I knew I wanted to be a journalist at The Reader. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say I had fallen out of touch with it. I think a lot of people in my generation have had stopped reading. I hope we're all back now. But yeah, my sense of it recently wasn't as good. Why Why do you think your generation fell off reading? Uh, I will stick with The Reader specifically, but we could talk about newspapers in general. But, but why do you think they uh, fell off reading The Reader? I feel like... I can only, I'm trying to think of myself and my friends. I feel like I lost really the connection to, I mean, my entree kind of was not only the journalism coverage, but also those amazing classifieds, right? And I feel like um, as I got older and went out less and was dating less because I got booed up and all of these other things, like the classifieds became less of a part of my life. And I think gradually the paper itself became less a part of my life. Well, I, I, I have this uh, memory, uh, Karen. I was called to talk, I can't remember when it was, it was a long time ago. Uh, and I was brought in to talk to some uh, visiting college kids. Uh, and for a, it's a journalism program, it may have been the community media workshop, whatever. I can't remember where it was. It was a long time ago. They dragged me in, you know, oh, let's get this dinosaur in there to talk to these kids. So I'm talking to the kids and uh, so I say, well, I work for the reader. Now, by this time I'd been working for the reader since, writing for the reader since the eighties. And I know it's a long time. Uh, and that was before your family had moved to home when I was writing for the reader. And, and so I'm talking about the reader, all the things I do. And, and this one young woman at the front raised her hand and she was very bold about it. She said, how come I've never heard of the reader before? Ouch. And I know. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, you know, I got to give her credit for asking the tough question. Right. But I flipped it. I said, well, there was reader box. Where do you live? She's Hyde Park. She went to the University of Chicago. Well, mm. there's reader boxes everywhere. How come you haven't noticed the reader, the boxes? Right. You know, I mean, they're bright yellow. I, 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 yeah, I'm trying to flip it, uh, but it was a it was a painful uh, realization. Not just a reader, but there was we had lost a generation of people uh, reading newspapers, you know, and being conscious of them. And um, so, how does the reader get them back? I mean, I think we get them back by being to those folks what the reader was to me, 
You know, the reader was this entree into this world that I knew nothing about. And I feel like it was constantly introducing me to all of these different things, places to eat and bands to listen to and places to hang out. And, you know, we would go to Cafe Voltaire and pick up a reader and go sit at the Pumpkin Donuts. May she rest in peace and like watch the drag queens going one way to Halstead and the folks going to Medusa's going the other way. And I feel like it was just this whole it was part of this whole world and it felt like so much more than a newspaper and I feel like we get them back like I said by being that to these folks like introducing them to all of these different things and reflecting their world back at them mm -hmm. at the same time uh, one of the things that the reader tried to do back in the 80s and the 90s was be a bridge from one community to the other in its own way you know it was a, a, a north side newspaper uh, I think pretty much everybody involved with the reader was white uh, and uh but there were some writers like Steve Guyra and uh, John Conroy that made an attempt to write about poverty issues, write about police brutality issues. So, so try to just bridge uh, the north side uh, to the south side, et cetera. Uh, how can the reader continue to do that? What do you, what do you think the future is the reader on, on that front? Yeah, I mean, we now are on the south side. So a lot of folks, that helps, right? We're in Bronzeville. That's step one. Uh, a lot of folks... Yes, still live on the north side, but I feel like we live in different parts of the city. We're from different parts of the city and we're not all white anymore, right? I'm not white. The other editor in chief is not white. We're bringing in more folks of color, more writers of color. If we have a story about a community, we try to have someone of that community write the story, take the pictures, do the illustration, edit it. So I think that's how we get there. We don't have people parachuting into communities anymore that we are of those communities. That's, that's one Step in the right direction. Do, is your sense that people, uh, when you were growing up, your friends, did they even know about the reader or were you the exception I, in the crowd? In my, among my group of weirdo misfits, we all knew the reader. Like we were all piling into so my The weirdo car. misfits, talk about the weirdo misfits crowd oh, at Homewood. Yeah. <laughs> Lots more. Of, from, you know, of the, from the 90s. Uh, I feel like I feel very lucky to have grown up when I did, when being a weirdo misfit became cool and I feel like the reader was part of the thing one of the things that showed me like you can be this person and it's not just okay it's an asset who wants to be normal normal people are gross <laughs> like, who wants to be straight when you can sit at the pumpkin donuts and watch the drag queens go by right so I feel like the reader did that for me and yeah, like I said, I hope we do it for more. So folks. what are some of the issues you guys, uh, you're going to be uh, pushing your writers, myself included, to write yeah, about? Yeah, Ben, come on. Uh, so you may have noticed June was very, very, very gay. Uh, it's 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Uh, it is Pride Month. So a lot of our covers this month had to do with the gay community and the LGBT community and the larger LGBTQ community obviously we're really excited about and that is obviously a community that we want to continue to cover more mm -hmm. i feel like housing maya on the housing beat maya on a mi million different beats but maya on the housing beat continuing doing those stories i think that to me is one of the biggest stories in chicago is affordable housing i don't want us to turn into seattle we have to we have to remain a place where a lot of different people who do a lot of different things can afford to live safely and raise their families and I hope that we do more of that coverage and really push that issue. What kind of challenges does Lori Lightfoot uh, uh, mean for the Chicago Reader? You know, I'm just speaking for my, I've always been on the outs with, with, with whatever mayor was in office. Uh, and um, Lori Lightfoot is not of my, well, I've said this before, I wrote this, 
I don't view her as a progressive in terms of the community that I've sort of been championing all these years. I view her as a bit of an outsider as well, but she does say all the right things and has made some very good moves early on. Uh, so I'm, I still I'm in that middle of honeymoon period. Uh, but what particular right. challenges in your mind does Lori Lightfoot play uh, for the reader? I mean, I think, again, pushing her on things like housing, on things like education, on especially the police, I think not giving her a pass. And I think uh, it's interesting. I got interviewed. I'm sorry, I don't remember what station. I got interviewed by one of the news stations the day after she got elected. Tracy Bame and I got interviewed like as a young black child, you know, who grew up to be a lesbian in Chicago. Did you ever think you'd see a black lesbian mayor? And of course I said no. And I was very careful in my remarks about how excited. Yes, I'm excited. And I can't wait to hold her accountable. As another, as a black lesbian in Chicago, I feel like I know exactly the questions to ask her, and I know exactly where the pain points—I hate to use that phrase—of the community are. And I, I think holding her accountable for, as you said, all of these progressive issues and not giving her a pass, as we have a lot of other progressive politicians in Chicago, that's that's where we stand out. Are you encouraged by uh, the last election in Chicago? Do you think that it's sort of ref- the, the, the new alderman who elected Lori Lightfoot's uh, election reflects a value shift uh, in the city? I am encouraged. I do think there is a value shift. I do think that certain people are more feeling more engaged in the political process and really see the impact that having politicians who align with their values, the importance of having those folks in office mm-hmm. is. So I am incur- I am cautiously optimistic, but you know, every time we swing one way, we swing back the other way in absolutely horrible <laughs> ways. So I'm encouraged for now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I was very encouraged by the fact that uh, her sexual preference was not an issue. Uh, I mean, she won 75% of the vote, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, and I, I've been, uh, the generation, two generations uh, ahead of you, Karen, I remember, you? I know too, I'm like, <laughs> that is you going, sure? you're old, man. Uh, and, yeah. But uh, I remember in the 80s when those fights were still just emerging, uh, over, yeah. like, they called them human rights ordinances in those days. They didn't even put the name of gay or lesbian in the title. It was a human rights ordinance. And the greatest opposition, the most, like, uh, well, some of them are greatest opposition, I should say. There was a guy named George Hagopian uh, who was the loudest opposition. But some of the strongest opposition came from the black community. And it was just unabashed uh, lack of any hesitancy. Uh, there was a, uh, a Reverend, um, oh God, Tracy and I talk about this all the time. Hiram Crawford was his mm-hmm. name and he would go, uh, the, the, the Bible said Adam and Eve, it didn't say Adam and Steve. And he would say stuff like that. Uh, and it was just, it, the, the notion was that the black community was far more conservative, uh, on issues of, uh, uh, of sexual preference than the white community. I've always disagreed with that position. Mm-hmm. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. I also disagree on that position, and I feel like, especially now, especially this younger generation of black activists and black radical activists and the black left, there is this notion that none of us are free until all of us are free, and that we have to work for everyone's liberation, and I really do think that that has changed so much over time, and I I think it's... I feel like people take some kind of comfort in this kind of like oppression Olympics, like, oh, well, black folks are more X than than white folks are. You know, it's just like, does that serve anybody, really? I'm glad it makes you feel better, but we're still all just being oppressed together. So I am heartened that 
Yeah, the this oppression younger... Olympics. Talk about that. <laughs> oppression that, Olympics. That's a pretty good line. Yeah, I mean, it's just <laughs> it's this idea that like, okay, so. I, I, the way I think of it, I, I tried to, I got a lot of, of my God love them, white feminist friends trying to get me, you know, I run a feminist magazine, you know, Robelli's magazine I still own. Um, a lot of them trying to get me to do this comparison like, well, Hillary didn't get elected, so that means that racism, that sexism is worse than racism because Obama did get elected. It's like, I'm not... Ladies, let's all calm down. It's not the oppression Olympics. Again, like, that's not... What do you think about that lie? It's just so odd. Yeah. It's just a... Why I, do you, I, yeah. When, all right, now let's go back and think about why... Uh, how much of a role do you think uh, misogynism had in the 2016 uh, election? I, 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 I'm not comparing it to Obama. I understand the... I like the Iran oppression. I actually may write a column about this because <laughs> oh. it's an interesting thing. In your opinion, how much... Uh, of a role do you think misogynism had? I mean, I think it's huge. You cannot, you cannot underestimate, overestimate. I think it had a huge role and that people don't see women as leaders. That's just part of it. And there are so many layers to it, but I do think it had a huge, it played a huge role. And people hate the Clintons. Yeah. There's also that. So that may have had a bigger role yeah. than women. Hard to say. People hate the Clintons. <laughs> hard to say. Yeah, hard to say. Uh, and uh, so when you when you t- keeping that in mind, you see this current uh, uh, ca- array of presidential uh, candidates. Elizabeth Warren uh, was at the debate last night. Amy Klobuchar was at the debate last night. Uh, Tulsi uh, uh, Tulsi Gabbard uh, was at the debate last night. Three women on the stage. I'm trying to think if there were any others last night. I think there's going to be how many t- tomorrow night uh, on the stage? Uh, Ten as well. No, no, but how many women? Come, uh, Kamala Harris. We have, thank you, uh, Leah. Uh, good memory in that Z over there. Uh, Kamala Harris. We on the stage of my. So, uh, do we think we've advanced anywhere from 2016, do you, or do you think it'll be a detriment? Let's say if Elizabeth Warren is the nominee, do you think it'll be a detriment to her? I think it will absolutely. I mean, if you look at the language we're using to talk about whether or not women are electable, whether or not certain women candidates are electable, I think it is absolutely still going to be an issue. I will say also, I can't say enough about how traumatized I feel by the 2016 election. I will say this. There was a sign at one of the women's marches. um, If Hillary had won, we'd all be at brunch. Right. And it's like, yeah. You would have been a brunch and all of these things wow. would have been happening. All of these horrors would have been going on in the world. And you would have been at brunch drinking a mimosa, not caring about oppression because you're comfortable. Wow. And I think the galvanization of people who were comfortable and shaking them up is not a bad thing. Wow. If Hillary had, I had that see that side. But yeah. That's, if uh, Hillary had won, we'd been, it'd be a brunch. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would have been a brunch. Yeah. Right. Uh, absolutely correct. And, and <laughs> good for you. I'm trying to think that may be the only positive thing to be said uh, about Trump winning. I know that on election night, uh, my good friend El Dragon, if you're listening out there, or maybe afterwards said, it's not the end of the world, Ben, because this is what the Democrats need to invigorate themselves. Uh, he's a Bernie, big Bernie supporter. Uh, and at the time, I was like, ah, no, this is too much. But uh, I don't know. Maybe that's. Uh, Maybe there's some truth uh, to that as well. I just wish we had coalesced a little bit. It reminds me of the, I can't remember what mayoral race this was, but there were like nine black candidates. 
what race? That and sounds they were like absolutely to, every race of the 1990s. They were like all supposed to coalesce yeah. behind one yeah. candidate. And they had all these meetings. We're going to have a yeah, flat yeah, consensus was, candidate. And none of them would drop out. All right. That, okay. That was uh, the, 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 the governing philosophy of the early 90s when, when Mayor Daley just got in and consolidated all the white uh, voters uh, and Hispanic voters. And so you're absolutely correct. And remember it so clearly. Uh, they, would, they would have these uh, meetings and uh, all various black leaders black political activists would gather whose turn is it who's the and they would fight and it would and and i always kind of laughed because it was uh it just showed you how the political movement had regressed since harold washington had died because you couldn't win uh you just you could not win if it's just counting on the black vote in the yeah. city of Chicago. But if you only limit it to people who are in that room to the black people, then, oh, okay, we've decided this is our candidate. Now, white people now support this candidate. I'm like, right. that's kind of a tough sell. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a hard uh, sell. By the way, so do you find yourself in any way when you think about uh, electability of saying, well, I'm, I can't vote for uh, a woman candidate because she can't beat Trump? I don't think that at all. No, I just, I can't go there. I can't think that way. I just can't do it. I do think, I do think a woman can't beat Trump. I hope to God a woman does beat Trump. If we even get there, I hope other things happen to him in the meantime, but yeah, I don't think it's true. And uh, uh, so which, do you have any early favors you're not allowed to say because you're your editor? Exactly. Okay. I got, yeah. I'm neutral in this. Are you neutral in this? Well, I have my early favorites. Uh, as a columnist, I'm allowed to say. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, and uh, I was saying this earlier. I thought uh, Elizabeth Warren did a great job uh, last night in the debate. I think she's probably the most qualified of all the candidates, in my humble opinion. It's just me speaking for myself. Sure. Uh, but this is something that was interesting. They did a time breakdown. We talked about this earlier in the show. And she only talked. She talked the third uh to the third amount. She got the third amount of minutes talking. And that's because Cory Booker wouldn't shut up. Oh, man. <laughs> she <loves> Cory Booker. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and who was the other one that wouldn't shut up either? I can't remember. Oh, Beto O'Rourke wouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't shut up either. So already they're, they're stifling her. Yeah, I did see something. I will. I, I know you texted me. Did you watch the debate? And I was like, nope. Uh, I did see something about, you know, the way in which women allow someone to finish a sentence. Not all women, not all men. I get it. Not all folks, but women will allow someone to finish their thought, finish their sentence. And men are just like jumping in, interrupting. And, you know, it's disappointing. And I, I've heard that that did happen. Yeah. It happened last night last at night. the debate. Uh, but actually, the, the guy who had to really fight the hardest was Bill de Blasio. It was actually very funny. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a man who probably shouldn't even be on the on the stage at all, Karen, because he's so low in the polls. Nobody heard of him. I don't know why he's running. And uh, he's bellowing out there, hey, pay attention to me. Anyway, uh, Karen Hawkins is my guest, editor-in-chief of The Reader. We're going to take a break and be right back after this. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. 
Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. Hey everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. All right, everybody. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, June 27th is moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Ben. They're coming in right now, so just don't mess that up. Oh, yeah. I tried. It's a mental block. Yeah. Please don't. Uh, I don't like uh, aerospace that much. Aerosmith. Yeah. yeah. Huh? You said you don't like Aerosmith that much. Oh, yeah. What did I say? Aerospace. Oh, my you God. love aerospace. I, that, I love aerospace. I don't like Aerosmith that They're the much. local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A big thank you once again to those unions for for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Thursday, June 27th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky show. In this hour of the program, we welcome Sean Callahan of What Has Government Done For Us and its union man, Ryan Kelly, with Mystery Guest. Oh, man. Who could it be? 
I'm scared. <laughs> Get the bong out. We got a mystery guest in the studio. <laughs> and now your host, uh, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. We're going to bring Ryan Kelly and the mystery guest. It's a mystery. Oh, I love when we have a mystery guest in the show. Before we do that, D, you got an update for uh, us? Absolutely. We have an update. Boy, I love that mystery guest bit we do. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, first off, posted right now on both Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages, we are asking all of you a question. Last night's debate. Who were the winners? Who were the losers? Simple question. Uh, let's see. A few of you have weighed in here. Just give me a second. I'll check our Facebook page. I believe only one person's commented so far. But, hey, you know, I just posted it about an hour ago, so we probably got more time. Who are the winners and losers of last night's debate is the question that we're asking. Our good friend John weighed in. Uh, I think I'd agree with John here. John says, uh, Cory Booker's Spanish teacher was not a winner. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's another thing. All of a sudden, just bursting out into Spanish, and everybody's like, "Is that even phonetically, grammatically correct?" Let's go ahead and uh, listen here, and uh, we'll, we'll be the judge. La situación ahora es inaceptable. Este presidente ha atacado, ha demonizado los inmigrantes. Es inaceptable. Voy a cambiar este. On day one. I will make sure that, number one, we end the ICE policies and the Customs and Border policies that are violating the human rights. When people come to their, this country, they do not leave their human rights at the border. Number two, I will make sure— All right, um, the Spanish yeah. one's so bad, I, I, guess. I guess. I guess. I don't know. I guess the thought that counts. All right, so head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Who are the winners and losers from last night's debate? All right, now we do have a local update here. Mm-hmm. J.B. Pritzker, hey, uh, we know you're a fast-moving guy when it comes to passing legislations, and, dude, we appreciate that. We really do, but you better slow your ass down on that boat, buddy. <laughs> Yeah, JP, the story was breaking. I saw this. It pains me to say it, but the following comes from the Chicago Tribune. Don't say we never did anything nice for you, all right? And Eliza Fawcett, according to his press secretary, earlier this month, Governor J.B. Pritzker received a warning for speeding during a boating trip on Geneva Lake in Wisconsin. Jordan Abadea, uh, Pritzker's press person, weighed in. On the evening of June 7, Pritzker was in a boat on Williams Bay enjoying a weekend at the lake with his family. It was still light out, and the governor was traveling at 41 miles per hour. At 8.30 p.m., Pritzker was given a warning for his speed, she wrote, but she did not include any other details about the stop. She wrote in the email that she believed the area where Pritzker was uh, boating allows for a higher speed limit of 45 miles per hour during the day, mm-hmm. and the sun had just officially set at 8.29 p.m. Uh, ah, the tribute of those bulldogs. They wouldn't let him off the hook uh so anyway he's speeding on his boat jb pritzker just blowing off. i think he'd already just passed uh legalizing marijuana uh he passed the infrastructure bill that uh with the gasoline tax it's going to fix our highways etc and so forth uh balance the budget so i guess he was just letting off a little steam ryan kelly on his boat there i mean are we really going that deep into uh moving violations on a boat i mean i understand water safety as much as anybody else but i mean if it's all based on the sunset rule is that how that went to i mean like if it's yeah. beyond i mean oh they're stretching 829 folks the 
June 21st is the summer equinox. I think the sun goes down at 9. So are we grabbing at straws here? I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm I don't sorry, know. I know that uh, Wisconsin's known for shaking down Illinois motorists. Uh, there's certain spots, if you're going into Wisconsin, I don't know if you ever had this down, where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a Wisconsin State Trooper. They nail you. It's a shakedown. You go into town. You have to pay off your ticket right there and then. Well, so maybe they're doing the same things on the waterways as well. God Those bless. God bless them. You know, I mean, I think they have some revenue they got to raise, too. So And they're doing it. Uh, J.B. Pritzker's got some revenue he can contribute to Wisconsin. So, all right, very good, D, on that I'm one. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> That's what he told the cop. I am not a perfect person. All right, Ryan Kelly, you have a mystery guest. Let's introduce the mystery guest. Somewhere deep on the south side. No, we got um, our guy here. Uh, this, this guy is a, a pretty awesome union activist, uh, has moved up through our organization. Um, and he's from the south side of Chicago-ish, southwest suburbs. We'll give him a break on that. But uh, his name is Jeff Adair. He's our organizer down at Local 126 and works closely with the district as well. What's up, Jeff? All right, Jeff. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thanks for having me. All right. So how'd you get involved in all this? Um, actually, I started working. I became the steward over at uh, Pepsi, where I worked for about four years before I became uh, the organizer there. And uh, I just started seeing the infractions. I was with the auto mechanics for 10 years prior to this. I saw a lot of the inequality that goes on in the shops and what people have to go through. I've worked in the uh, unionized shop to non-unionized shops. And I I was able to see the clear difference of what rights you would have when you were working in a union shop, opposed from what little rights you had when you weren't. Now, were you uh, aware of these things when you got involved? When you were a kid growing up, did you grow up in a union household? Were you like a union type of kid or did you know nothing about this when you uh, took this job? Uh, No, my grandfather was a Teamster driver and then uh, my father was a 701 mechanic uh, and I've always had that union backing to me. But uh, when I was young, I wanted to party a lot, and uh, <laughs> I didn't get as active as I should have been back then. But as I got older, I saw the, what happened. Yep. And so, Ryan, did you recruit him? Uh, you know what's funny is, like, right as I came into staff, um, I came into staff in a situation where I was stepping up when there was a an opening and a time and a need for people to step up. And as I stepped up, I needed people to step up as well. And like, I remember my first meeting, I'm sitting at the big table, giving my report to the membership and all this stuff. And this guy came up and was talking to me and, um, you know, I could tell he was asking the right questions. So in that situation, when you're cultivating, uh, people, you know, you kind of, assign a few tasks just to see, you know, I was like, Hey, well, that sounds good, man. You should look into that turnaround time was just like on the money. So this guy attacks stuff. He attacks stuff the way our local attacks stuff. And he's very symbolic of our, uh, proactive ways, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I noticed when we organized our shop at the reader was that there was reluctance on at first, just at the very first initially, it, it, it faded fast. But uh, some of the people were like, well, why do we need a union? Yeah, uh, uh, I, I don't understand. Uh, people viewed themselves as like individuals and not as a collective. Uh, did you have to overcome that uh, at first when you when you first got involved with the union? That mentality that somehow you don't need a union or do you see other people talking that way? I do see people talking that way and it blows my mind every time. 
Um, but I guess they buy into a lot of the company rhetoric that, uh, hey, we're, we have your best interests in mind. Uh, but when you go from non-union to a union shop, you'll see the difference and how much rights you have under it. I, I never really bit into the whole, the company has my best interest because time and time again, they would show me they didn't. And so what are some of the uh, shops that you guys have been uh, organizing in the last uh, year or so? Well, Jeff's been on staff since, uh, what, August or September of yeah, last year? Yeah, end of August. And um, he's been working on quite a few campaigns. Some are ongoing, so we're not going to discuss the uh, the names of the companies, companies but he did just get a 100% election in one of them. And uh, he also worked on the very notable campaign through the IAM, the International, the IKEA campaign that went on in Manuka Joliet, I mm-hmm. believe. So why don't you talk about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, they had this campaign. They ran it before. Uh, they just ended up short of the election or uh, the votes needed for the election uh, about a year ago. And then they came back and they started it back up again. Some people were still there. They were able to form the inside committee. They ran. They filed the election. Uh, they really pushed through. They did this in like almost a blitz style. Uh, get in, get done, get it over with and move on, uh, getting them a contract. But it was just amazing how how fast they were able to. Wait, get who were the people. workers that you were organizing? Was that IKEA? But who? What were the what were their job titles? Uh, they were a lot of the production people uh, because IKEA outsources a lot of their like maintenance work and other things that go on there. That's like subcontractors that work with them. So these were the production uh, people that were working. What does what, what a production person do at IKEA? Uh, they were putting to getting the uh, what's it called putting putting your boxes and all that stuff together, getting ready to ship it out. I gotcha. It's a lot of packaging. Yeah, a lot of like packaging. That, right? And so uh, so was there resistance at first? And uh, what was the argument that you used to win them over? Uh, I came in to help the international. The international was really uh, the one that was running it. So they, they would know a lot more than I can. And I don't want to uh, say things that may not be true. Uh, but yeah, there were just the, the usual things that you run into that I saw while I was there helping them, uh, where people are like, oh, why do we need a union? Hey, no, uh, we're going to lose a lot. They're telling us, hey, we're going to start from zero when we uh, go to negotiations. And a lot of that stuff just wasn't true. And taking the time to explain to these people helped them understand a lot more. All right. That was a big win there for your, uh, for your union. And Ryan, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to hear the debate last night. Uh, there's another one tonight. Uh, Biden will be on tonight with Bernie. So it'll be sort of like a, they'll be battling for the soul of the Democratic wow. Party. I know. So, so, Biden, so it's Bernie. like they, so it's like they've like exclude, they've made two different classes yeah. of, of well, Democratic they had, candidates. Yeah, they got, there's, okay, well, we do, there's 25 candidates. Uh, it's uh, five, the, Five don't even meet the threshold. Yeah, you got to catch me up on what what is the cutoff. So there's two. You have to have at least one percent of of support on the poll before you get to be on the debate. Okay. Uh, And so last night they had ten, and and tonight there'll be ten. And the the thing that I found interesting about last night's debate, there wasn't a lot of specific union talk, uh, but there was just across the board. Uh, how do I put this, making clear that they were all union supporters. They believed in the right of collective bargaining. Uh, People gave shout outs to their union past or like a father who worked uh, on a, was a member of a union, that kind of thing. But they didn't get specific uh, in any way. They didn't talk about like Janus cases or anything like that. Uh, But what in general, what are you hoping to hear from the presidential candidates in regards to labor issues Um, coming into the election? And I remain steadfast on what I've always talked about on the show is just addressing uh, health care, wealth inequality, and and just the general things. The, the, the kitchen table items. I mean, at the end of the day, um, 
where we have an emerging gig economy that that's very disturbing to me because people are forgoing any sort of wages that are even associated with jobs that are non-union a lot most jobs most full-time jobs you walk into that you're not a 1099 employee you have at least some sort of fringe benefits that are associated with your position outside of what you make as your hour, hourly rate and the gig economy worries me because it completely foregoes that it's like hey you're your own business that's how they dress it up you're your own business and at the end of the day so you get a percentage of whatever they broker and that's what you walk away with well how, first off if you're driving uber um, all the reports i've read and i come out of the automotive industry and they seem pretty credible based on uh my my general math in my head uh you, you basically anything you're working for you're you're just putting right back into your vehicle whether it's in fuel or maintenance costs and maintenance costs are hard to project but over time your maintenance costs end up costing you so you make a few grand you make a few grand you make a few grand and then you get hit with a car bill especially driving on you know say city of chicago roads that are in in rough shape right now things like that so i don't see um i i'm, I'm extremely worried about the gig economy and how that's going to play into because we all know that's being factored into the overall employment number that's being used and flaunted by um, certain entities in this country, uh, mainly Donald Trump, where, you know, we're talking about the lowest unemployment rate of all time. And they're counting jobs like Lyft and Uber and gig economy and Uber Eats and like in, in everything that's going to spin off of that as, you know, employment jobs. Mm -hmm. They're not employment jobs. They're not employment jobs that we're accustomed to. Um, I don't believe they fulfill the standards that I think most good blooded Americans really should be paying mm -hmm. attention to because, um, hell, without insurance, great. So they're making a little bit of money to put in their pocket. The second they got a medical industry or um, a medical emergency, mm -hmm. they're going to be going in and who's going to be footing the bill? Yeah. yeah. We're going to be footing the bill, yeah. you know, so it's a true story. I I, uh, I I told you so. Might as well just get it out there in public. Uh, my my son-in-law. I believe I have a son-in-law. That's how old I am. Uh, and uh, he is organizing. He's a labor uh, activist uh, in California, and he's organizing Uber and Lyft workers. And talk about a, a tough. You you think you had it tough? At least uh, like <laughs> I feel Ikea, sorry for. Yeah, him. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say that people like at IKEA would might uh, just be in the heading in the direction of mm -hmm. joining a union. There might you know be a sense that the, that there's a. Uh, uh, a legacy here uber and lyft drivers the whole industry is contingent uh ryan on being able to essentially exploit the workers do you follow what i'm saying oh yeah absolutely that's, that's it's a lowest the, bidder situation yeah. i mean it's the ultimate lowest bidder situation because um the drivers don't have a voice on when uber says they want to take more of the share of the ride sharing mm -hmm. cost you know when when you use uber and you click on the rate um at any time, Uber can go in and say, you know, we want more of that. And those drivers don't have a choice in that. They don't have any say in that. They're not at the table. They're on the menu. And um, <laughs> as we've all seen, you know, at any given point when a company needs to boost up its, you know, profitability, what do we see usually happen to the people on the ground? We see a deduction in wages. We see or or a stagnation of wages because a deduction is a little too crazy for most companies because then we get we get a phone call um but it's like through through other things like that but in the in the in the gig economy um it, it's basically a change in you know uh, profit sharing and i mean 
that's why you're starting to see an interest. I mean, if honestly, if Uber was paying a, a really nice, decent percentage of the ride sharing cost, well, I don't think there'd be an interest in organizing there, right? I mean, we only get phone calls when when people are just they they're they're tired of being sick and tired. It, I, you know, that's a, I, I the whole model, as you said, uh, is based on the ability to as this is my words to exploit the driver. Uh, so you're absolutely correct. I I can't see any reason why an Uber or Lyft driver would not want to uh, join a union on this on this particular front unless they just view themselves as at this ex existence of their life as a phase that will just pass and maybe that's part of the uh, uh, the strategy that's a dangerous thing yeah. that's a dangerous mentality to have because at the end of the day um, they're whether they know it or not they're probably part of what's considered the new industrial revolution or the new economy that 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 we could be going down the road of and and getting these people you know understanding exactly what it is because they at the end of the day they cannot bargain over anything related to economics and their employment situation in fact they don't even deal with the supervisor they just get a notification via an app and email. Yeah, we've changed our percentages. Have a nice day. Yeah. Get back out there and drive. And what's even more troubling is that uh, Uber has gotten into um, the car loan business. They've gotten into the situation where you can have Uber help you finance a vehicle. Well, now they own you. <laughs> now, now you are owned by the rideshare business. They have the ability to, you know, you need to now fulfill a certain amount of hours or. If you're not making your, well, they call it in the industry, the nut, you're going to, you know, they're going to take your car away. Yeah. So, so you're going to put yourself in debt to get a car in order to work for a company that's can take the car away from you, which then puts you further back in debt. Yeah. We may put Jeff on the uh, organizing the Uber uh, and Lyft riders uh, program. I'm open to it if they're open. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, it's the, it's the, it's happening in California. It's happening in Southern California. I can tell you that for a fact, cause I spent a lot of the weekend talking about it. Uh, and I think a lot of the Uber drivers and Lyft drivers, uh, they aren't thinking this is going to be a full-time job. A lot of them are like, hey, I'm just going to do this for a little extra cash. So they don't look at, hey, why do I need to unionize or something like that? Because they're looking at it as only a temporary yeah. fix for something opposed from uh, some people that are doing it long term. Yeah, that's what I was just getting at. The, the whole notion, if you just view your, if you just view this as a, a temporary moment in your life that will end, like a means to something else, something bigger. This is you're not investing uh, any too much thought into it, uh, or you, you hope that you'd be doing something else down the road. Then it would be very hard for a union to sink in. But I mm -hmm. think what will happen is that the reality of the workforce uh, that you were alluding to, Ryan, is that folks will suddenly a year will pass and they'll still be doing the job and or then more. they'll start thinking, right. yeah or more time right and then they'll start uh, uh thinking about the the fact that it might well be we know how fast the years go by i mean like they all of a sudden it's like wow i've been doing this for three years yeah you, you could have been three years vested into a lot of things yeah and uh, all right now you mentioned healthcare uh issues and this is something that came up in the debate last night uh amy klobuchar was the one who said had reservations uh, the senator from minnesota one of the candidates running for president had reservations about uh, uh 
going to a uh, Medicare for all plan because she doesn't want people uh, to give uh, have to give up their private insurance. Uh, and I, th- I can't remember which other uh, candidate also had reservations and use the unions. I think I may have told you this use union as an excuse. And the argument, Ryan, is this. They say, well, unions uh, are uh, negotiated for these health care benefits. And I would hate to undercut uh, a union that has negotiated so hard for its health care benefits. It's kind of an interesting uh, spin on things uh, like they're going to hold back uh, on um, uh, health care for all with it because they want to uh, pay homage to a union contract that provides some health care for some union employees. I'm sure the union members would like to see a raise and, and or maybe they would like to have the alternative, the opportunity to choose between a raise uh, and, uh, you know, having to pay money out of their check uh, for health care. What's your thoughts on how uh, the health care issue is being uh, raised here in this current presidential debate? Um, I, it's all debatable right now. Um, I've said it here many times. Health care makes me very angry. It makes me very angry in this country in general uh, because I've seen it digress to the point that we're to where it's at right now. I mean, they want to talk about how hard we work negotiating health care. We got to work hard to negotiate health care because we're working hard to negotiate wages and the wages are being eaten up by the increasing health care. And you're lucky if you can even stall or maintain your health insurance rates uh, within collective bargaining. And that's when folks, when you have a union that can, you know, levy and, and, and try to keep your costs down um, as opposed to being, you know, an at will employee where they're just going to raise your costs and you have no say over it. Um, The fact is, Healthcare is a major problem in our country. It's accelerating um, its costs in, in insane amounts. I can't. It, it doesn't make any sense to me when you look at the facts and figures of developed countries and where everybody stands as far as the cost of healthcare and the the quality of treatment and the cost of prescriptions and everything else. Folks, the numbers are out there. If you look at them, they just don't make sense. And it sounds to me like we're often subsidizing the health, uh, the health either it's either the hospital system or the health insurance system. And I don't know which one exactly it is. Folks, I don't really care. At the end of the day, I'm the guy that has to try to keep your costs down. And that's what I care about. I care about your costs staying down because there's no use of me giving you a raise of 3% a year if your health insurance is going up 7% a year. And you know, it's it's such a stranglehold on people's wages. They're not that. You know, we talk about wage stagnation and things like that. Healthcare is a major, uh, a, a big part of that. In 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 a world where we actually we do more maintenance as a society, as far as you know, going in for checkups and going in for this and that. I mean, we have wellness programs. We have all this different stuff. Yet the costs keep going up. Well, that's what happens when you have a healthcare system that's based on capitalistic values, because it's got to make money, folks. It's got to make money off of you, and that that's got to stop somehow. It's got to be that that has to end, and it might not be popular in all circles, but I don't really care. Well, I I, uh, I believe it's the winning issue for the Democrats. I, I think it's the issue. I think I probably told this year earlier. It could be the winning issue for the Republicans too, if they take it, if they really look at their base and they really look at their, their constituencies. Based on all the red states, they're the ones that 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 are the most uninsured in a lot of different situations. That could be their winner, but the problem is their bread baskets being paid for by the healthcare industry. And to be fair, so are some folks on the Democratic side of the aisle. So that is what it is. Well, but. I completely agree with you. And one of the things I do not understand, many things I do not understand about the Republican strategy, uh, is from the get go, they've 
waged war against Obamacare. Okay, but they never come up with an alternative. So it's like, well, yeah, they still I, haven't either. I yeah, mean, they, they had their, they, they just yeah. had their chance to do it, and they yeah. didn't do it. And remember, let's go back, folks. Obamacare was the result, and it was the result of back and forth and debate within our houses in a democratic fashion, and that is the program we ultimately ended up with. Uh, I would, I would blame Obama in the sense that he probably settled on. You know, it was so drastically far away. Folks, I used to live in Massachusetts. The model for univer- for that healthcare system was based off of MassHealth. And MassHealth was a successful program started by a guy named Mitt Romney, a Republican. They call it Romney Care in Massachusetts, and it worked out really well there. So there is a way for a system like that to work. It just isn't being given to everybody because it's a moneymaker. I, I completely agree with you. It's really hard uh, for me to even think about uh, ador- endorsing a Republican these days because they don't offer an alternative. They've abandoned Romney care. You're absolutely correct. They've, even the, the diluted program they did offer, they came up with, they're abandoning that. So it's really hard for me to even think about uh, uh, endorsing one, even though I probably would never do it anyway, Ryan, given the fact that I've been voted Republicans in the 70s. All right, now let me ask you this. When you hear Democrats use uh, unions and union contracts as an excuse not to uh, uh, join a board uh, on on board for a uh, Medicare for all plan or a single payer plan. Uh, do you think that's going to play well uh, with unionized workers? We'll see how it shakes out. I mean, we you know my I, I'm going to see how it all plays out as far as that goes. Um, I I would advise any politician to avoid trying to like use what the hard work we put in to you know use it as like a, a to boost you up because folks there are candidates out there that have been preaching the value of a union contract for 20 or 30 years um it's one of those situations where some of these people are changing you know just in four years they've changed you know their their entire platforms um i know unions see through it I know the IAMs being very proactive on making sure that we choose um, something that our member completely support our members completely support. And with that said, um, I'm paying very close attention to you know anything that I would perceive as um, well bullshit. Um, anything that you know seems like oh wow that wasn't your position that, position that long ago, <laughs> or maybe yeah. you've taken money from you're you're, you're preaching healthcare and the expenses of healthcare, and you're taking money from the healthcare institutions because we're aware of all that. Yeah, you're watching that carefully. All right, now uh, in the past times you've been on the show, we've been doing Janice updates. Uh, we talked so much about the Janice oh, case uh, oh, boy. Yeah. in the year 2018. This, of course, was the case uh, that Bruce Rauner, remember I think that him? was my whole platform coming on the radio. Yeah, we were talking <laughs> Janice, 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 right. Uh, and it was an attempt by Bruce Rauner, uh, the former governor of Illinois, to... Uh, uh, well, a successful attempt. It was, you know, yeah, he, he, won. he, he won. accomplished what he... Well, he got the Supreme Court. Right. The weather ultimately is... Well, he successful. won the lottery because that they had multiple cases across the country. He was the guy that had the case that went through at the right timing to go to the Supreme Court after um, a couple different appointments that went through and, um, you know, uh, a Supreme Court justice passing away. It was just the perfect storm. At some point, it was, you know, with the appointments and a Trump presidency, that's what was going to happen. How has it affected uh, membership? Um, I can't speak for all unions. I can speak to ours. None. 
Um, we are 1,000% uh, the same amount of payers that we had uh, before the Janus decision. And I am the first person to talk to all of our members that work in the public sector and explain uh, the value that we that we bring to the table. And to be fair, um, I've actually seen the opposite happen. Um, there's no doubt that there was a situation where there was concern that people would get information and suddenly decide they want to start opting out. But I'm proud of our machinists because they have actually gotten more involved and we have more involvement out of our members in the last year than we've had in the last 10 years and we're proud of that all right very good Wait, hold on. someone say bruce rauner yay yeah. for our teachers <laughs> oh yay for our <laughs> teachers yeah remember that remember oh yeah uh only but goody uh, bruce rauner uh, yay for our teachers as, as he's bashing our teachers as, he's saying yay for yeah, our teachers yeah, yeah. He's some governor Great guy. Right. uh ryan kelly and uh jeff adair i see sean callahan my next guest is standing here ready to go the pride and joy of evanston high school he's all fired up we'll bring him jeff, on or i'm sorry ben if i could say one more thing uh-huh. um we had a guy that's retiring out of the city, works in the, the Department of Transportation. His name's Gary Ollis. And Gary has put 29 years into keeping those bridges up that go up and down that we all like to take pictures of when we're downtown. And tomorrow morning's his last day on the job. 29 years. That is a quarter of the amount of time these bridges have existed within our beautiful city. So, Gary, we wish you a great retirement. And if there's any information you need on organizing with the Machinist Union, you reach out to us um, either at area code 630-655-1930 or reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Just look up I am Local 126 or I am District 8, and we thank you very much. All right, Gary. Uh, Gary may be uh, in my generation. Sounds like he may be as old as I am. So, Congratulations, Gary. Enjoy your retirement. Uh, We got Sean Callahan on deck. We'll be right back after this. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. And for the record, I love puppies. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Jett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him. Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And guys, it is amazing. Listen to this. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Illinois that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, Stop on in and tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway. And you can find more information at GreenElementResale.com. Once again, that is GreenElementResale.com. Green Element Resale. Head there and save a ton of money. 
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ryan Kelly has left the room. Ryan Kelly has left the room. Hi, Ryan. Man, I'll tell you what, those are two of the biggest guests we've ever had in the show sitting together. It's like an oh, offensive line. I tell you what, when we played the tribute in that football game this summer, we're bringing those boys on board. <laughs> Offensive right. tackles, if I've ever seen them. Yeah, look out, Tribune. All right. <laughs> we got Ryan Kelly and Jeff Adair on the line. All right, before we have – and Sean Callahan will be our uh, tight end. All right, Sean right. Callahan, All our right. next guest. Very, right. very speedy wide receiver from Evanston High School, Sean Callahan. Uh, I think you were on the golf team, right? I was, I was on the golf team. I played baseball too, Ben. Oh, okay. <laughs> he just wants that now. All right, well, we're playing reason. cranes in baseball in, uh, in the fall time, so hey, we'll, we'll use we'll it play, in. No, no, we're going we're gonna to play cranes in Golf cranes. Hey, Greg Hines, we got Sean Callahan. <laughs> You're going down. No, you know what we're going to have? We're going to play cranes and poker. Oh, that's what we're going to Sean Callahan, a hell of a poker player. I uh, what about Greg Hines? How's he at poker? Uh, not that good. Okay. Yeah, I played Greg Hines back in the yeah, 80s. There went the Hines interview. <laughs> Almost had a book. Sorry, Greg. You know, you're you're a great guy and everything, but mm, lousy poker player. <laughs> anyway, before we bring Sean Callahan on, a great golfer, great baseball player, and an excellent poker player. What do you got for me, D? Lousy bowler, though. Yes, oh. that's for sure. Lousy bowl. He briefly was on my bowling team. Oh, really? Yeah, I yeah. was yeah. on the. I substitute for uh, trouble <laughs> yeah. now and again. Well, no, we were a different team. Oh, uh, I was many years ago when oh, Sean was wow. on the bowling team. I believe it was in the George Bush administration. Maybe uh, yeah. we were known as Five More Outs. Yeah, that's what we know. It was a totally different incarnation. Anyway, D, what you got from me? Well, we're talking about last night's debate. One of two, because there's so many candidates in this thing. We got to divide it into two. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did uh, Micah, our guest Micah Uterich yesterday say? Uh, The B team. Yeah, it was uh, the B team last night. It was last night. Tonight, it's the A team. (laughs) Right now on both Ben Show Facebook and Twitter pages, a question. Who are the winners and losers from last night's debate? A simple question. We asked you to uh, comment, and we told you we'd read these comments on the air so here we go all right uh let's see Kristen weighed in and she said elizabeth warren was the clear winner for me here here all right and rosemary she says winners were warren castro and de blasio then she says you gotta you gotta be an interrupter and a fighter to go against trump Cory booker is good but he also talks too much oh my god leah's so mad right now you can't (laughs) see it on camera guys she's raging oh my god she threw it whoa put that chair down leah Leah. (laughs) my goodness all right he says booker's good but talks too much and doesn't say anything calm down leah okay and um i agree with here here (laughs) (laughs) and uh uh, rosemary mentioned it so let's go ahead and play it here uh yeah bill de blasio trying to earn a new nickname interrupter here's bill de blasio last night at the debate i, I think the choice is is fundamental hey, wait, to wait, wait. our ability to get Warren, everybody yeah, care private insurance is not working for tens of millions of americans they can choose medicare for the culinary workers in you got to start by acknowledging the system is not working for people we must okay, end we those policies as well discussion about immigration Mayor, in this country that makes america stronger but what about the war what about the War Powers Act being a part of that equation? With deep respect to the congressman, and the decisions have to be made by the United States Congress in the name of the well, there you go. Guess he was taking uh, some notes from the uh, the Republican primary debate with Trump. Uh, here's the deal with De Blasio. I said this earlier, Sean. See what you if you agree with me on this one or not. Uh, I don't know why he's running. Uh, he's the mayor of New York City. Uh, has not 
has very low approval rating in New York uh, City. And uh, he lost uh, much of my support when he endorsed the uh, Amazon deal uh, for New York City. And then he had to backtrack a little bit uh, after Alexander Ocasio-Cortez led a bit of an insurgency against it. So I really don't know uh, why he's running. Doesn't seem like he has a core constituency in the Democratic Party. Most people don't know who he is. So uh, given all that, I can understand his need to try to make his presence known by elbowing his way uh, into the debate. They, they probably, the, the people running the debate, Sean, were probably thinking, well, I don't know why to waste our time asking him a question. He's not going to win. Uh, and so, therefore, he felt, you know, necessary to, boom, I'm going to talk. I'm here. He, f- he felt like a real New Yorker on the subway, just like elbowing people out of the way. Um, I, th- I thought it was interesting, though, g- given that he did interrupt, I, th- I agreed with almost everything he said. I, f- I found that very interesting, and I was surprised by that. Um, and I was also surprised by, especially if you're, you know, of a certain age, uh, how progressive the debate was oh, yeah. compared to even four years yeah. ago or certainly eight years yeah. ago. And I think the guy who's going to be on the stage tonight deserves most of the credit for that is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. really changed the conversation and made it, made it possible, yeah. again, to talk about progressive ideas that really most Americans support when you divorce them from whether they're Democratic ideas or Republican ideas. Most people on like a 60-40 basis are for most basic progressive yeah. ideas. Well, this gets into what uh, your website's about. We're going to talk about that uh, as well. What, is, uh, what has government done for us? But in terms of Bernie's role in the Democratic Party, I, 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 I do believe the Democrats owe him some gratitude. Uh, he has pushed the conversation to the left. He's forced the entire Democratic Party uh, to address some essential inequities that the Democrats have paved over, the, at the top of the list being health care. I think he's forced Republicans to address these ideas, too. Well, that's what Ryan way. Kelly was getting at. And, and the Republican Party, um, it, it, I, curious is, I'll just use that word right now, uh, 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 Sean, because I do not understand the Republican Party has uh, made, it, when it comes to health care, their health care initiative is to bash Obamacare and offer nothing. So this is why I say that this is the issue the Democrats should run on, because the Republicans have nothing to run on. They, they have no health care plan other than we're going to end Obamacare. Well, what is that? Now we're, it's even worse off than we were before. Right. And, you know, it is ironic, just like Ryan was saying, that this, these are Republican ideas originally that are being implemented in Obamacare. Um, probably not Medicare for all is certainly not what the Republicans want to do. But if they were even to take a step, they would be in a much better position than, than they are right now, I think, heading into 2020. All right. Now, when you, I don't know if you heard the part of the interview I had with Ryan Kelly, uh, Union Man Ryan Kelly, right before you. We were talking about the fact that uh, the Dem- Bernie has forced the Democratic, Democratic Party to the left, and they are championing uh, health care as an idea. But there's some who are still um, holding back for Medicare from all. I think when they did the, they asked for a show of hands. Only two people two, raised their hands. Warren and De Blasio, I think. Yeah, De Blasio, <laughs> even Cory Booker. Not that raising my hand. 
Uh, and, uh, uh, but, uh, and so one of the excuses they used was they didn't, you know, the unions had, had worked so hard to uh, win concessions from their employers on a private health care plan. They didn't want to undercut that, which I thought was a laughable uh, explanation. Usually we heard Ryan Kelly assail it because uh, I would assume that most union members would rather, if you said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take away, we're going to give you the deduction that you now give to the insurance companies so you get a raise. And in turn, we're going to raise taxes on the wealthiest people in this country so you have the same insurance insurance plan now same health care i think most people would say i'll take the raise right but it's going to be very difficult that's a complicated thing to get across i think in an election especially when people most people aren't really paying attention so do you think it's a successful tool uh do you think that the the moderates if you will in the democratic party are correct to be concerned about going into uh an election cycle against donald trump uh, talking about taking away private health care, because that's how the Republicans will play it. Yes, that's totally how they'll play it. And I think they that could be a winning hand. I really do, because there are, um, is it 50% of Americans have a private health care plan? And certainly not all of them are happy with it, but the, the unknown is very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a better play to say, um, we're going to tax the rich, and if you want health care from the federal government, you can get so it. So you're an incrementalist. Yes. You would have been one who did not raise your hand. I would have been one who did not raise I'd my hand. I'd have had my hand up, two hands up. <laughs> can, I, can I put I, two hands up? Well, I think ultimately that's where you're going to go. I mean, it, as a country, I think we have to get there eventually. I mean, every other uh, industrial nation has that kind yeah. of program. And they work. Uh, but... Uh, to win the 2020 election, I think it's it's sketchy yeah. to go with that. Well, that's uh, that's what Democrats have been telling. Uh, one core, the Democratic Party has been telling the activist base for years: you're moving too fast, you're pushing too hard. We can't win this election if you uh, go in that direction. You got to uh, trim what you ask for, uh, so they don't uh, mock you and uh, demonize you. And I got news for you, Sean. They're going to mock you yeah. and demonize you anyway. I think that's a fact. Yes. Yeah. If Amy yeah. Klobuchar is the Democratic nominee, they will say she is a radical who wants to impose uh, <laughs> British-style health care on you, whether she says you know yes or no on that one. Right. So uh, that's the reality. All right, uh, Sean, tell folks a little bit about uh, what has government done for us. Well, yeah, we've got a, a website. It's called What Has Government Ever Done For Us? We started it in the wake of the... Um, the Trump election. And uh, it's a website that champions progressive ideals. And basically what we do, um, I do it with a a partner, uh, Mitchell Hall is his name. And we write and get people to write about their favorite government program or agency. Mm -hmm. And I know some people think that's laughable, but I mean, when you look at the kind of amazing things that the American government agencies have accomplished. Um, it's pretty pretty astonishing how effective government generally is. I mean, certainly there are things you can point to where it hasn't been very effective. But, um, you know, you go back to uh, winning World War II. Government was pretty effective there, fighting a two-front war. Um, they, uh, they built, uh, they funded the Transcontinental Railroad, which transform the country. Um, they 
Uh, a lot of people laugh at the post office, but getting a letter in two days across the country for, what is it now, 55 cents is a pretty remarkable thing. Um, I, I think there are amazing examples of government uh, success. And I think one of the most irresponsible things that a president has ever said, I mean, Trump aside, is when Ronald Reagan said that, uh, you know, government is the problem. I think that has been internalized by so much of the country. And it's a, it's a dangerous thing because these are just like a corporation. A government agency is just a group of people working together for a goal. And I think we've lost sight of that, um, that government can be incredibly effective. For me, I, you know, I work for LinkedIn. That's my day job. So I'm obviously part of the capitalist system. And I would, I'd like to see, you know, strong companies, effective companies. Um, they also do very good things, but I also like to see strong governments so that the people who are doing the actual work are getting paid a fair wage. Um, they have health care. They have all these things. And I don't think that can happen unless you have a strong, powerful government mm -hmm. to balance, you know, the, the capitalist uh, portion of the of the economy. Yeah, I uh, with the words you used that I underlined, it took notes that's internalized. Uh, the, in Ronald Reagan was very effective uh, at this. I think it was a turning point when the uh, air traffic controllers, just way before your time, went on strike. Uh, and uh, Ronald Reagan just fired them all and dismissed them. Uh, and he really articulated the notion, you're right, that there was something ineffective about government. There was bloat in government. It was waste. That the notion that people pay their taxes, uh, they were it would be the government was taking something from you uh, and that it would be more effectively if you didn't give them the taxes, which is, I don't know who's going to pave the streets it's, if you don't have tax dollars. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but it, 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 it has internalized it. And I see that again, going back to that Democratic debate where um, people talk about, well, the great private insurance plans that people have. I'm like, I don't know anybody that would say their insurance plan is great. I I don't know, maybe some people in the, any listeners out there think they have a great private insurance plan, uh, feel free to weigh in. But do you understand what I'm saying? It's like that they've almost brainwashed people to be against government. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, they have systematically over since, let's say, uh, Barry Goldwater um, said that uh, government is bad and your taxes are wasted. And it's just not, it's just not the case. I mean, it's a, demonstrably not the case, but that has become sort of what de facto, what you have to argue against. You're already fighting up this hill. It's an uphill battle. But that's why I was so encouraged by the debate last night, because the, the terms of the debate were uh, American people want a lot of these progressive ideas implemented. And uh, it was fantastic to see. Um, and I think it starts with getting uh, the taxes correct again. You know, uh, Beto ran away from the 70% number. I don't know if that's the right number, but Bernie Sanders is fond of pointing out that in the 1950s under Eisenhower, a Republican president, it was, the top marginal tax rate was 91%. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably too high, but uh, I don't think 70 is out of the conversation. Um, and because the other thing that people don't really understand if you're not f paying uh, complete attention to this, because you know people have jobs, they have families, you know, uh, is that that doesn't mean that you're 
if you make $2 million, every dollar is taxed at 91%. Uh, it means just that the dollar over $2 million is taxed at 91%. So it's, it's a completely fair thing. And uh, it, would, it would solve a lot of the issues that were on the table last night. College education. I mean, I'm paying for kids to go to UCLA and Tulane. Uh, and it's, it's outrageously yeah. expensive. Um, and it should not be that way. Certainly not at, those are private, well, UCLA is not a private uh, school, but public schools should not be the, the tuition that people are paying should right, not now, be that high. Uh, one of the first uh, things I noticed about Pete Buttigieg, I'm, I, people are oh, picking on Pete Buttigieg, but uh, this issue came up uh, when, uh, in response to Elizabeth Warren talking about paying for college uh, education and the argument he raised Again, it's like a, a jujitsu argument it's about to raise. I'm going to do my best to paraphrase it. Is that he was against uh, pu- public, uh, su- publicly subsidizing college tuitions because it would be unfair to people who didn't go to college. And so effectively, you'd be uh, uh, underwriting the um, inequities in society if you uh, paid for people to go to college. I thought this um, was a very clever way of covering up a very conservative attitude toward investing in public education, uh, as though he were standing up for uh, equity and fairness when in fact he was flipping it. It was almost like uh, Republicans who are against union organizing and they say they feel in the liberty they talk about in terms of the freedom and the liberty of the worker not to have to pay a union dues. as opposed to freedom and liberty of the worker to have representation and uh, get m- more money from the employer. Uh, what, when you hear Democrats uh, talking in that way, like trying to explain inequity as, oh, they, they were really being fair, what is your reaction to that? Well, I'll, I'll say first off, I do love Mayor Pete. Uh, his father was uh, one of my favorite professors in school. That's so, right, you're a Golden so like Domer. A, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Forgot he went yeah. to Notre Dame. Oh my God! That's how could I forget that Sean Callahan went to Notre Dame? I yeah, that, the name it. says it all. Football right. team, uh, <laughs> uh, Northwestern. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but yeah, that, that aside, I I mean that's that is uh, if that's Mayor Pete's view, yeah. that is the exact wrong way to look at college education and our our funding on. But we're already subsidizing it. It's just a matter of degree that we're arguing about now. I think it should be subsidized much more because it's an incredible value, not only for the individuals who get the education, but for all of us um, by having an educated workforce, by these research institutions like UCLA was involved in inventing the internet, you know? So these public monies uh, that we invest in this stuff is, you know, incredibly useful long-term. And we, we need to get back to uh, looking at this as an investment rather than a cost. That is Sean Callahan. The website is What Has Government Done For Us? I'm Ben Jarofsky. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. 
All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. All right, everybody, our good friends at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yeah, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Unlock every feature, video and podcast, hey, just like the Ben Jarofsky Show, uh, by signing up for a digital subscription. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from sometimes reporters, uh, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city, and go deep inside City Hall with the best in-class political reporting. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You really can't do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now uh, at Chicago. Oh, I'm sorry, at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. <laughs> What's so funny? I hear the music. It just triggers a certain thought. Yeah, anyway. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right. Yes, indeed. The music means the end of another super cool show. It's not over yet. Sean Callahan's still in the studio. By the way, D, did I tell you? Not what? only does he bowl. Yeah. Not only does he play baseball. Not only does he play golf. You know, I do the show every day, but I never know where you're going with this. <laughs> not only does he write a great website. Not only is he an author, Sean Callahan. Not only does he work for LinkedIn. What? He plays a mean piano. I, okay. <laughs> I knew it. That was him. That's him right now. Wow. How can one man do this? And he's a golden domer. He's a modern, We're not going to hold that against him, but good God, he loves Notre Dame. He's a modern day Jeff Manuel. <laughs> yeah, he is Jeff Man I tell you what, I forgot. How could I forget? Sean Callahan loves Notre Dame, man. I don't know, and Sean. I, I love you dearly, but I'm not feeling that Notre no, Dame No, I know vibe. you're not, Ben. That's why I, I try not to bring it up. 
try not to. Bring they it. always win in North against Northwestern. I always root for Northwestern. That was a nice bootleg call at the end of that game. Oh God, that game. Yeah, but that quarterback scramble. I ah, forget that week last year's game. By the way, is Notre Dame going to play Northwestern this year? No, because they're chicken. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, okay. we want them to come back, uh, right? Colton Tomers out there. I love you all, you Notre Dame guys, but uh, your football team and that root for. What you got for me, D? All right. Well, uh, last night was debate one of two. Tonight is debate two. Showdown tonight. Oh, boy, Ben, who you got in the debate? Bernie versus Biden, the oh. heavyweight tumble. Oh, don't boy. forget uh, Kamala's in that one, too. Kamala. So I don't. It, and then who will emerge like Castro did last night? I think uh, Lee and I agreed that Castro emerged. We agreed on that one, that he really showed himself. Uh, maybe he'll take that bump and that he needs in the polls to make uh, qualify for the next one. So tomorrow we're going to have uh, clips and audio and everything just like we did today of debate number two. But we're still talking about debate number one, all right? And the show isn't over yet. Uh, we're going to play our last audio here from last night's debate. It was a lightning round. Oh, yeah. I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And the lightning yeah. round question, who is the biggest geopolitical threat to the United States right now? That was the question. Once again, who is the biggest geopolitical threat to the U.S. right now? They went around to all of the candidates president, all 10 of them. Uh, and uh, Ben, who, in your mind, who is the biggest geo- geopolitical well, threat to the U.S. right uh, now? I love the, the answer. I forget who said it. Um, I mean, Trump. Yes. That was, that was who said was Trump. It, was it Inslee? I, I was Inslee. Inslee. I believe it was yeah. Inslee. Yeah, yeah, big boy from Washington said it. Trump. The crowd went nuts. And that's what I said. I <laughs> yeah. said, Trump. Yeah, someone gets it. Of course, Inslee will never make it to the next round. I thought he did great, though, last night. Well, I he, thought he, he had a, made a lot of good points. Did you think he was mansplaining when he talked about uh, how nobody had done as much as he, uh, he uh, on the abortion issue? You think that was mansplaining? Probably. Leah, do you think that was mansplaining? Yeah. Ansley, yeah. <laughs> mansplainer. All right, here's the, here's the uh, lightning round from last night's debate. In the United States. Just give me a one word answer, Congressman Delaney. <clears throat> Could you repeat the question? Greatest <laughs> geopolitical threat to the United States right oh, now, boy. Congressman Delaney. Well, the biggest uh, geopolitical challenge is China, but the okay. biggest geopolitical threat yes. remains nuclear weapons. Okay. Right? So those are, di- you know, those I got are different you. questions. Totally get it. Go ahead, Governor Inslee. The biggest threat to the security of the United States is Donald Trump. And there's no question. <laughs> See that, Fox? Here's your campaign. The crowd goes wild. Yeah. Told you. That is geopolitical threat. The greatest threat that we face is the fact that we are at a greater risk of nuclear war today than ever before in history. uh, Senator Two threats, economic threat, China, but our our major threat right now is what's going on in the Mideast with Iran if we don't get our... Try to keep it slimmer slimmer than what we've been going here. One or two words. Our existential threat is climate change. We have to confront it before it's too late. Senator Warner. Climate change. Yeah, Senator Booker. Nuclear proliferation and climate change. Secretary uh, Castro. Say, uh, China and climate change. Yeah, Congressman Ryan. China, without a question, they're wiping us around the world economically. Yeah. Uh, and Mr. Mayor. Russia, because they're trying to undermine our democracy, and they've been doing a pretty damn good job of it. We need to stop them. <laughs> oh, that interrupting guy. <laughs> de Blasio gets in Russia, reminding everyone, hey, don't forget, uh, Russia, Putin, Trump. Uh, anyway, I love the Trump when the when old boy Inslee said Trump. That was a that was a perfect answer. Yeah, the crowd went That's crazy. Kind of like a softball, really. Like, all right, who is yeah. the biggest threat? Who yeah. wants to knock this one out of the park? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know, but you know, it's like when they uh, they ask for just one word. Uh, I want to say more than one word. Uh, just one word. Who's the was that? 
Chuck Todd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sean Callahan, a huge fan of Chuck Todd. Oh, really? Yeah. That is not true. Not true. Chuck, big Chuck Todd. <laughs> big Chuck Todd. Uh, Chuck Todd. Just one, just one word. Oh, those guys were great. The the moderators. Oh, good. Okay, now. Okay, hold on. Now, just okay. We're done. Uh, they're no Marianne Ahern oh, or Carol no. Marine. They know how to run a debate. Okay, <laughs> get a Chicago news person up there and stop talking. All right, D. I think we have another part of the program we have to do right now. You got to do the introduction. Absolutely. All right. Our editor's name is Leah, and she's fantastic. All right. She helps us out tremendously on Facebook and Twitter. She posts the videos. Ah, we, we suck at that. So <laughs> thank you very much, Leah, for we doing that. Uh, she makes our show seem very active as it's happening on Facebook and Twitter. We're very appreciative of that. And so we decided the best thing that we can do is give her her own segment. So, people, it is time for the second installment of Leah's Last Word. All right, now speaking of that microphone this time, Leah. Hello. <laughs> nice. Hey, Leah. I was just wondering about this book, Voting with a Porpoise. Why, what inspired you to write this book? Why did you write it? Uh, great question. So, um, I wrote that book with a guy named Russ Glass. He's a friend of mine. I work with him at a company called Bizzo, which was sold to LinkedIn. So we worked together at LinkedIn. Russ is very, was very upset by Trump's election. And uh, he was particularly upset by the voter turnout, especially among young people. So he's working with Rock the Vote. He's on the board of Rock the Vote now. And, uh, but he wants to get the message that Americans have to vote to a much at a much earlier time, young people, like five, six, seven years old. So he came to me. I've written some other children's books. Um, the Leprechaun Who Lost His Rainbow. It's, it's kind of a Notre Dame thing. Yeah. And then... Uh, Those golden doors. <laughs> and A is for Era, the ABCs of oh Notre Dame Oh, my football. God. <laughs> A is for Era. Era Parsegian, golden domers. Who originally coached at Northwestern, right? That is correct. So uh, Russ came to me, he said, let's write a book about voting for kids. So he had this idea. Um, I worked on it. I wrote the sort of the rough outline uh, and then a draft. And he took it and said, I, I want it to be rhymed. And I said, I, I don't do that. And he turned it into a rhyme book. And then I went to a friend of mine called Daniel Howarth. And uh, he did the illustrations, which I think are fantastic, of the dolphins and the porpoise. Um, who are trying to figure out how to solve a problem. And one of the ways that they figure out how to solve the problem is to have an election and everybody has a say. And that's the book uh, we have and we're trying to get it into schools. Uh, we're available to do readings and uh, we wanna really transform the culture around voting in the US. Because like, look at the Chicago uh, mayor election was it 33% of the people yeah. came out? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's bad, and it's, it's even worse among younger people. And uh, if, if you don't vote, you're going to end up with what we've got now, you know, people that you don't want making decisions for you. Well, the other problem is people who do vote and then vote for the people who are making the decision for them. So sometimes I'm torn on this one, Sean yes. Callahan. Because <laughs> no. on one hand, yeah, I agree with you at the principle, I want everybody to vote. On the other hand, God Dang, some of the people they vote for. All right? That's, like, a, that's a cool title, well, Voting with a Porpoise. Get it? I like it. That's cool. <laughs> voting with a porpoise. It's a pun, right? Oh, yeah. It's a pun. It's a very wet one. Yeah. Oh, a uh, wet one. So you have, you have any other follow-up questions? No, that's good. That's good. All right. Uh, so Voting with a Porpoise. Can uh, folks get, uh, get a it's on, copy it's of It's on Amazon. Uh, 
a big corporation website. Yeah, big corporation. <laughs> way. Yeah, way too big. Uh, let's get that one. That place unionized all right sean uh the debate number two is tonight uh we've been teasingly say it's uh birdie versus biden uh and i know there's going to be eight other candidates on stage but senior night senior night yes they better have it early but he wants to go to bed uh i'm really looking forward to this one i'll tell you why when i just think of birdie versus biden i think of the uh the, the sort of division the divide in the democratic party we'll be talking a lot about this tomorrow folks we already have our we have a great panel of guests coming on to talk about the debate tomorrow. But, um, it, you know, this gets back to the Hillary Clinton 2016 Bernie Sanders campaign, where there's one faction of the Democratic Party uh, that has been telling the, the sort of the, the activist faction, slow down, don't push too hard. You're going to lose a general election. We have to go to the center. We have to move right constantly. And Bernie Sanders, as you uh, articulated a, a little while ago, has just said, no, we should not be ashamed of what we want with the, our, our values of what we think government should do. We should stand up for it. Uh, he did so strongly in 2016 that he has pushed the party to the left and pretty much everybody last night on stage was to articulating some form of a uh, government uh, uh, health care at least. So what do you expect tonight uh, in tonight's debate? I mean, I expect more of the same. And I, and I think you're right. I think that divide is going to be on display and it's going to be interesting. We know what Bernie's going to say. He's not going to back down. It's going to be interesting to see how Biden adjusts, whether he's able to read the, the room, meaning, you know, the entire country, um, or if he's going to stick with the kind of incrementalism uh, that that he's, you know, been his bread and butter for a long time. I'm also, you know, I'm interested to see how Mayor Pete does tonight. Um, he's had some trouble. It'll be interesting to see how he comes out tonight talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I, I was I was very impressed by last night. I know a lot of people complained about the format and stuff, but I don't know what else you would do with 10 people. No, I, I thought the conversation was reasonable everybody got a chance to talk and um i was i was I was, I was very entertained by last night's debate uh and considering the i'm gonna give a shout out to uh the moderators i, I was teasing chuck todd but uh the challenge they were facing 10 people some of whom nobody ever heard of before and uh john delaney i mean to getting everyone an opportunity to uh at least the five minutes uh, was was pretty impressive there. But uh, yeah, tonight, uh, you mentioned Mayor Pete. Uh, we had on the show um, uh, Henry Davis, who is a councilman in South Bend and talked very uh, passionately about uh, some of the racial issues, racial tensions uh, in South Bend, Indiana. And, and from his perspective, how Mayor Pete has just dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mayor Pete's been criticized hard. Uh, it's been sort of changed the narrative of his campaign. And it will be interesting to see how he deals with that tonight. And he's going to have to, I think. I think so, yeah. Uh, and then the other thing is Joe Biden uh, and the comments he made last week, which I know Joe Biden, the stuff he says, I, it's really outlandish. But he was talking about the good old days when he could work with segregationists uh, in the Senate. And everybody's like, huh? What, what, well, what do you? I mean, Joe has been talking like that for years, right? Sticking his foot in his mouth. And so if he's the nominee, we're just going to be watching that up through election day. Yeah. And hopefully beyond. 
he uh, is the nominee. Yes, yes. If he is the nominee, uh, hopefully be on and we'll be just, uh, cringing as he sticks his foot <laughs> into his mouth again. Uh, Sean Callahan, uh, tell folks one more time where they can uh, find your website, the, the address. It is whathasgovernmentevedoneforus.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, the book, Voting with a Porpoise, is available at Amazon.com. All right. We got to give a shout out to Amazon, huh? All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for coming on, Sean. We'll probably bring you back. Uh, Thanks, Ben. Political Love to junkie, come back. And maybe we'll have a, a whole show uh, dedicated to golf. Uh, about <laughs> 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 Just remember, he's on the golf team. Uh, or porpoises. Or porpoises. Or bowling. Okay? The guy's a great bowler, all right? Uh, anyway, uh, I want to thank Sean Callahan. Also, want to thank Ryan Kelly and uh, Jeff Adair. Uh, Karen Hawkins was in here earlier today from the Chicago Reader, the editor-in-chief, the new editor-in-chief of the Chicago Reader. Congratulations, Karen. Leah, magnificent job, as always. Uh, our, uh, our show editor, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, behind the mic. By the way, Sean. Do you know what they call him back home in Alton? Do you know what they call him? No? No? You don't know? No. White Lightning. Yes, indeed. No. <laughs> Keep yourself a raise. Take it out of fake news. <laughs> See you tomorrow, everybody. Hey, and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Reader and Chicago Sun-Times websites, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com, forward slash Jarofsky, or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we do live stream this program Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. It's posted on the websites as well, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com, forward slash Jarofsky. Find us on social media at Benny J Show. Watch the debate and join us tomorrow. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.